Hello, this is Matt Marone, the worship pastor here at Glen Ellen Bible Church, and you're listening to the Next Level Podcast. Today, we are going to answer listener questions from Sunday, September 19th, 2021. Hey, everybody. I'm John Vanderveld. Hi, I'm Simone Halpin. Hi, I'm Kelly Brady, and I serve as senior pastor at Glen Ellen Bible Church. Thanks for tuning in today to the Next Level Podcast. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Energy. <laughs> Power. I don't know what I'm talking about. Synergy. How are we doing? We're doing great. Let's do this. Let's do this. Revelation. Kelly, what, uh, what are you thinking? What are you feeling about Revelation? Man, two really, weeks in? I don't know. I'm loving preaching. I really am enjoying being. You just in making the stuff up to say. You just, just love being up there. I just like being up there, the center of attention. <laughs> Not. Yesterday was so good. Oh, that's it was sweet of you. such a good message. Oh, that's yeah, sweet of you. yeah. Solid. No, I'm. I mean it. I I feel like God's been really good to me. That you know, the first question here, I'll read it out. You have done a good job setting up the Book of Revelation, but you can only dodge the details and controversy for so long. What perspective will you be taking on the Book of Revelation? You know what, I, the reason I, I let out by reading the question, I, I feel like God's been really good to me in the first two here. I, I feel like I'm learning a lot. Somebody asked me, why the book of Revelation? And I can't remember in what setting I said this, but my answer was because I'm tired of feeling intimidated by it. Mm-hmm. And I've, I, you know, mm-hmm. I've preached chapters one, two, and three before. In fact, I did a, a seven or eight week series on the first three chapters. So I feel like I know the first three chapters pretty well. But the person that asks this question is right. There's going to come a time when, you know, we're going to be tempted to get into the weeds. And um, so I'm, I'm just praying God continues to, to care for me as I want to do a good job caring for the church. Sweet. Mm-hmm. So, hey, the, um, the perspective. Let me give you kind of a 50,000 foot. There are typically four perspectives taken, four approaches to interpreting the book of Revelation. They are the idealist, preterist, historicist, and futurist. The idealist is, is that group, and it was mainly church fathers, so ancient interpreters, Origen, Augustine. They took an, an allegorical interpretive motif. Uh, believing that the events of the book weren't historic, but were rather descriptive of the struggle between God and evil. And then they would take that and they would, they would make spiritual theological application. And there are parts of that, frankly, you'll see in the weeks ahead that, that I like. And not the allegorical. I don't allegorize Scripture typically, uh, unless Scripture encourages us to allegorize it. So... Anyway, we can get into that more. But I, there are parts of the idealist that I like. Next is the preterist. Um, the preterist pre, um, simply means a past. I, I, it's a referent to this is a historic look at things that have passed. And so chapters 1 to 19 are viewed from a first century uh, lens only. And it, it was thought those who take the preterist approach that... Um, that this, the first 19 chapters of the book were meant to, to offer hope to a church that was under the thumb of Rome. Uh, admittedly, 20, 21, and 22 are, are looked to the future, uh, the new heavens, the new earth, uh, God's redemptive work unfolding. But uh, if you're a preterist in your approach, then you're, you're looking at all the events as as uh, being completed by AD 70 when, when Jerusalem was destroyed. And so it's placing everything in the past, all the events, basically. Um, then the historist, histor- historicist perspective, Revelation offers a prophetic outline of church history. And so uh, they're saying the events of the book of Revelation have been unfolding over the last two millennia. They're saying some of it happened at or around the fall of Jerusalem, AD 70, but then it continued to unfold over the, and there's still some that will be unfolding. Um, 
Hope I'm not losing people. It's pretty dry here. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> wake up, John. The futurist. All right. So there is a verse. So we've done the idealist, the preterist, the historicist, and now the futurist. There's a verse in chapter 1, verse 19. It says, write, therefore, what you've seen, what is now, and what will take place. That's Revelation 1, 19. The futurist perspective is actually kind of based on this, thinking that John is actually told uh, what you've seen, so some of this is taking place, what is now, some of this is taking place, and what will take place. And they see that verse as a framework for the book. So chapter one, what's taking place, chapters two and three, what's taking place currently, and then four through 22, what's future-oriented. So who am I? Uh, I am what I like to call eclectic, and it's not one of the classical four views. It's kind of a mishmash. Um, I like to combine strengths of each approach. So I take seriously, and I've mentioned this two weeks in a row, this, this book, this letter was written to seven specific churches, and we can't pluck it out of that context. So I, I want to make sure that I understand it. There was, there was an original audience. And then number two, I want to acknowledge the fact that that some of these portions of the book are yet to take place. Chapters 20, 21, and 22 for sure are yet to take place. Uh, new heavens, new earth. Um, and then I'm going to focus on theological significance in the message. So I've already done that some. And so what I've already done some, I will probably continue to do. I will probably not get down in the weeds of what is the mark of the beast and, um, and that type of thing. No antichrist predictions. No, no, no timelines. So um, I probably will not, and that'll that'll frustrate some people. But I I think that dodging that that stuff and sticking to theology will help us in our day to day lives as followers of Christ. Cool. All right. Okay. So next, we're going to explore the diachronic versus synchronic hermeneutical approach to the Old Testament histories. Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't heard those words since grad school. Yeah, right. uh, that's a paper I'm going to write Would, today. Here we go. Wouldn't you say that the futurist perspective is probably the most uh, yeah. established? Yeah. Yeah. That we look at the book. It has both historic right. and future mess, uh, realities. There's stuff that was pa in the past explained, yeah. Yeah. stuff that was happening in that modern day explained, yeah. or in that historical day explained, and then stuff that's going to happen in the future. Yeah. In fact, if you go to Revelation, I think it's chapter 12. Let me Google it up here real quick. Yeah, the woman and the dragon. I have preached Christmas Eve uh, out of Revelation 12. And so I actually think it's it's a picture of the battle that was going on right. as Mary tried to deliver Christ, uh, the Christ child. And it's a, it's a picture of what was going on in the heavenly. So I, to your point, there's, for me, there's obviously some historic mm -hmm. looking back. Mm -hmm. Yeah. In fact, I, I think it's a mistake to read this chronologically. Mm -hmm. We as modern moderns and Westerners, we like first this happened, second this happened, third this happened. But that's the, the ancient world didn't go in for that. Right. Um, they would see things as mosaic. Right. If if you know a mosaic thinker in your life, they'll talk about this, then they'll talk about that, right. then they'll talk about this, and and you're thinking. It only makes sense to them. It only makes <laughs> sense to them. Kidding, it's a joke. Nor did they nor did they write, you know, history right. for history's sake. They didn't write history in the it, sense, in the that, sense we that, like, that we do it. Yes. Right? For the right. for the accuracy of everything yeah. specific unless it says that. Right. Right. Like in Luke. You right. know, I'm writing this for this reason. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. History writing uh, wasn't like we think of history writing today. So yeah. in the letter, I mean it says that it's it addresses what kind of writing, I mean, John tells us what kind of writing he's doing when he says he's writing a prophecy. Mm -hmm. So there's a prophetic. A future. Yeah. There's, so a, there's, there's a, both a foretelling and a forthtelling. Right. Telling so there's a letter being written that's explaining, you know, prophecy that's also apocalyptic. That's all, I mean, it's like all these not linear, mosaic, all yeah. these things are happening at the same time. It's a funky book and it, you know, it takes some work, and I think we want to. We want to. I want. I don't want to. Um, I want to tread really lightly because there's some some folks that are much brighter than I am who have wrestled with it a lot. So, 
to serve the congregation well and to be a good shepherd, I want to say what I can say from the pulpit with the greatest confidence. I'm going to I'm going to make the most of yeah. the time I have and say what I'm certain of. And then everything else you'll just tell people to go watch that movie The Seventh Sign with Demi Moore. <laughs> totally. Or Jacob's Ladder. No. Do you remember that movie? Oh, totally. Yeah. Yeah, that was I was like <laughs> we, in the just, 90s. Yeah, right? that was Oh, yeah. You never saw that movie. Kind of I, I haven't. I thought you were going to oh, say don't go that watch all it. of your end <laughs> theology comes from the Left Behind series. Oh yes. Okay. Has any, well. Have any of y'all ever seen Jeff Goldblum in The Fly? Yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, that was like 1980s though. I know. Yeah. yeah. One person seemed to be tracking with me. Mm-hmm. Over two like, <laughs> yeah. I thought that I don't know. I went to Marvel immediately. I didn't. I no, that's a good reference. So, uh, so before we get into more questions, so I'm assuming um, Kelly that you have worked through the book did you work through it on on sabbatical yeah, yeah. get in ready getting ready to, to preach this so um what is uh like where 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 are you hoping what is our takeaway what is our posture what are you hoping us where are you hoping to take us and and where are you hoping us to be when we're done with the book of revelation yeah i'm certainly wanting us to get the big picture which <laughs> in I our basements with, <laughs> with food know, stores what are those people right. called for preppers preppers <laughs> doomsday preppers yeah, we'll all awesome. be preppers <laughs> <laughs> sorry that's awesome that was a serious question and i was joking around go ahead no, yeah no. i'm hoping i'm certainly hoping we get the big picture that uh god is uh ruling over history, and he's steering it towards a culmination that will glorify Christ for the good of his people. Mm -hmm. I'm hoping we get that. I'm hoping that we come away hopeful and that the gospel has greater value to us. Uh, I hope we come away urgent or more urgent in our readiness for his return. Uh, I hope we come away understanding that there, there's evil at work in the world, that there's a supernatural real uh, that is not seen. Some of it is seen in the systemic systems of, our, uh, of evil that are going on in the world. I mean, there, there's some gross things going on in the world. I'll give you one example. This irritates me to no end. Yeah, here we go. <laughs> so I'm, I'm sitting on the couch the other day. Uh, we're watching football. I think this was Sunday, yesterday, watching football. It's Micah, my middle child, and... Uh, we're eating lunch, to, and Sherry's there. And Were you uh, watching the Chiefs game where they lost? or was No, that? I did. Oh, did the did. Chiefs lose? Yeah. Easy. Easy. It's a Weren't, long, it's a long season. <laughs> it's a long season for the Super Bowl champions. And a Corona beer commercial comes on, and the spokesperson is Snoop Doggy Dog. Mm. And I'm thinking, really? Mm-hmm. I mean, he's a pornographer. Mm-hmm. He, he made porn movies. Mm-hmm. Now, anybody can change. I don't get the sense from him <laughs> the that, he's, that he's, he's changed. I actually think Corona has selected. So when we talk about systemic evil, we have a pornographer repping Corona beer. And I'm watching it with my family. Mm-hmm. And we're okay with it as a, like, as a More than okay. Yeah, yeah. We're expecting, mm-hmm. they're expecting us mm-hmm. to buy beer based on mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That mm-hmm. This will draw me in to be a Corona mm-hmm. They got to do everything they possibly can because their name is Corona. <laughs> In the worst, hit every audience. Because <laughs> the, the other person is Tony Romo, the other Corona. But they've had so many. Right? John like, Gruden his... was their spokesperson. They, I mean. Okay, so are you saying called that this, lime is the, time. this is the bottom of the barrel? Pun intended. He's he's I, he's been a spokesperson for a, a while. The, you maybe saw a new commercial, but he's not new to the scene. He is when I do human trafficking. Um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Education. Like when I teach people the basics of human, we use him as an example of Ooh. walking so out on stage. This is off to no Oh end. my gosh, it's offensive. He walked on stage at an MTV Music Award with two women with collars around their neck and chains and one on each hand and he walked on to mtv's stage as they these women were were his props i'll be honest with you i will never ever buy a corona beer again good or listen to a snoop dogg song yeah you know the the thing about him as well throw all your cds away kelly (laughs) the thing about him is he's one of the most like affable characters Mm -hmm. In, I mean, like you, if you're if you're gonna have a movie and you're gonna do a camp, like you get him, mm-hmm. and he just he transcends 
cultures. Yeah, for and some everybody, reason. everybody, for whatever reason. We excuse like, him for some reason. Some I'm, not exactly, sure I'm, I'm not sure why. That's where I'm going with it. I'm not sure why. Other guys don't get a pass at all for the things that they've done. As they shouldn't. No, I'm saying, but but to make the point, like, for some reason, he totally gets a pass. It's like, ah, yeah, but he's got a good PR manager He's high all the time, and he's Snoop Dogg. He exploits women and sings about it. Mm-hmm. Wow, I wasn't expecting you to throw that. Got my heart racing. That's good. Yeah. So, what am I expecting Mm -hmm. that we'd glean uh, from the Book of Revelations? That we'd (laughs) (laughs) that we would we would come away from the Book of Revelations saying, "Oh my gosh, judgment certain." Yeah. Uh, God hates sin. There's a real evil in the world that's at at work. Uh, It's it's as subtle as the beer commercials on our television. Mm And we need to wake up. Yeah, amen. Yeah. Question two. Boom. Yeah. I wish the commercials would change in general for mm-hmm. football when kids are watching at 2 o'clock in the afternoon. Mm-hmm. That often just we talk about all the time. Anyway, so many kids watching football. Um, all right, question two. If Jesus is working for the good of the church, why is the church such a mess? Is Jesus weak? Simone, is Jesus weak? <laughs> No. Simone said Do you before, see the passage? She said this kept her up last <laughs> night. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I act, Can I say something? I, yeah, I, you're part of the show. <laughs> <laughs> Let loose, Simone. Stop editing. Uh, I really did. I did. I, I did tell you that I was, I want to know the heart behind this question, which is typically where my mind goes. Is this, what's, what's the meaning behind it? And I just, at, at, before I came here, we had devotion at work, and someone read this psalm as a devotion for our staff, and I and I was literally like, this is the answer this person's looking for, and I will not read the entire psalm, 73, but there's a, a um, the very end of the psalm is, I think it's David, 73, verse 26. He says, my flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. And I thought, this is the how I saw this answering the question is that we look to so many things to bring us comfort and peace. And the church is one of them and the church will fail us because it's just filled with messy people with messy issues and messy leadership and the whole thing. Um, And I feel like that's what the psalmist is saying here, that my flesh and my heart are going to fail. You're going to fail me. I'm going to fail myself, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. And I just found so much encouragement in that thinking, I'm, I'm sorry that if you are looking for the church to be something other than a mess, because you'll never find that. This is, this is who we are. We're just messy people. Um, it doesn't mean that Jesus is weak. It means that Jesus will meet us in the mess and that um, his portion, his strength, that is all we need. Um, so anyway, I just, I, I, I feel like there could be some, some more to what the question is asking. And I just wanted to remind this person that you're not going to find an, an unmessy church. It doesn't. It's not a reflection of Jesus. It's a reflection of where Jesus comes. Don't judge God by His people. Yeah, please. I I would say yeah. The church is a, is messy. We're a collection of sinners. We also shouldn't fool ourselves. I mean, it's it's very popular to be down on the church right now, but let's be honest with ourselves. It was the church who started hospitals. Mm. It was the church. Mm-hmm. The church grew. I mean. Sociologist Rodney Stark uh, traced the the growth of the the first century, second century church. The church grew because of the testimony that the people of God's community had in caring for people that no one else would care for. The, you know, you put uh, children in the streets, uh, the dying in the streets, and they would abandon. Uh, those who were sick. It was the church who collected these people, cared for them, nursed them as they, as best they could. It was it was the church, who in the in the West, um, you know, uh, uh, proliferated education, art, uh, Harvard, Yale, Princeton, all started as preacher schools. Uh, so, we, the church is a mess, but the church is not impotent. It's not as though the church hasn't borne any fruit. I mean, read church history. Like, yeah, there's some bad stuff, but the church, to your point, right. church ran headfirst, and we're the only ones running headfirst into the Black Plague. Like, yeah, yeah. right. I, mean, I my my question would be, is it this tr- this person is asking like, why is the church such a mess? My question is, is it when you say is the church such a mess? Are you talking about 
the church in Afghanistan and well, the I church in China. I think we're talking about Mars Hill pa- podcast. Exactly, and, and Mar- that's where I'm going with it. Right, right. right. Mm-hmm. Like, and there's some ugly stories. There's some spiritual abuse for sure. Go ahead, I interrupted yeah. you. Oh yeah, so I. But there's some kick butt realities of the church in China, exactly. the church in Afghanistan, the fastest growing church in the world is that in Iraq. Yeah. And the church in the United States. Are, like, are you are you in and in the church, in and out every day, watching what's going on, watching the front row food seat. kitchens, watching yeah. the people coming to get, have marriages restored? Are you are you getting a front row seat at that too, or are you just gobbling up the headlines and saying the church is a mess? Mm. I well, just then. think that's unfair. Well, it's a little bit too of I think where society goes, all of society is is impacted, right? So right now, it's really the popular thing. To your point, Kelly, is to we point out weakness and failure and right. where we're expectations are not met and it's in there's sort of a, a really me centric kind of thing going on and like for every good thing that a, a political figure does there's two articles about all their failures mm-hmm. right like nobody can do anything positive without there being a critique and and so as society moves that way it's just we got to expect that's what's going to happen to the church right so like right. all the failures of the church are constantly being talked about and and um and probably rightfully so the church doesn't do a great job of tooting its own horn right and saying wait wait but look you know <laughs> look, look at right. how awesome we, we are supposed to right, right like, like that kind of goes against why right. we do the things we do and right. so i think there's a way to communicate the 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 purpose of the church and the strength of the church in ways that you know we are working um without being you know arrogant but you know, it, it's it's not surprising that Marshall podcast is big deal. Yeah. That Bill Hybels' failures make the front pages of Chicago Tribune, like that, versus, you know, all the things that Willow Creek has done, you know, over yeah. the years, and yeah. like you said, lives restored and things like that. So, is it a stretch to say that where John was at this time, he was in exile, right? Mm-hmm. And that was because he didn't have a thriving church in Rome, and he or he wouldn't bow to Caesar. Correct. Right. He, right. And, so and the I, message that Jesus was Lord was flew in the face, contradicted Caesar as Lord. Okay. So yeah. is it is it a stretch or is it fair to say that this first century church was also a mess? And yet while John is in exile, Jesus meets him mm-hmm. in that place and provide you know, gives him this vision that we are still finding to be the word of God all these years later. I mean, to me that's like it's never not been a mess. Right. It's always been. Yeah, First Corinthians chapter 5, the heading offered by the NIV is dealing with a case of incest. Yeah, it's lovely. Somebody, somebody said to me this summer, we went through Colossians. We kept talking about the Colossians, early church, the Colossian church. And somebody's like, man, I really wish things were just like that back. I was like, <laughs> no, <you> uh, <laughs> maybe I haven't done a great job, but there was a, a whole lot of mess. Yeah in the first century church and a whole lot of power yeah a lot of good a lot of transformation we you know we read about and you see those stories throughout paul's letters as well but he's spending a lot of time writing these letters to correct a lot of things that aren't going well and of the seven churches in revelation uh several of them get not um kind words from john about uh what's going on and what their future is and that sort of thing yeah. You know, it's interesting, uh, Tim Keller, a well-known pastor uh, who ministered for decades in Manhattan, he's since moved out of the pulpit and into some church planning work. He, he would agree that the failures of the church can make it very difficult for b- people to believe in a raised Savior. Mm-hmm. But what he points out is that the, the church has a self-correcting element. It, the beauty about Mars Hill is the discipline built into the church, the rebuke that is taking place, um, and the outing of sin, and the calling to repentance. So yeah, there is, um, there is sin in the church, there is spiritual abuse, there are leaders that fail, but in each of those situations, there is the, the 1 Corinthians chapter 5 experience where Paul says to discipline those folks. Don't put up with that. And there's the comfort offered by the knowledge that Jesus is still at work in the church, growing us up. So, yeah. All right, uh, let's go to the next question. Since Jesus speaks to John saying, do not be afraid, what does it mean that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom? When should we be afraid of God? 
Yeah, I thought this was a, a good question. Um, and, you know, for me, I always try to explain that that word fear is really multi, there's kind of a multifaceted thing going on. We hear fear and we think immediately of terror, being terrified. Um, but there's this this other way to think about fear and that being this this idea of awe and wonder um, and and deep respect. So it's it's a fearfulness that isn't uh, that you're terrified of what's going to happen to you necessarily. Um, you're terrified of God, so you run, you hide, um, you can't interact or whatever. Um, but this idea of of this this reverence, this awe, this wonder, this respect that does I mean John falls on the floor as though dead, right? He says, in the presence of of Christ. So there, there definitely is this otherness element and this, this appropriate fear that's, that's wrapped in awe, wonder, respect. And I think, I think that kind of fear leads to wisdom, right? It's, a, it's more and more of an understanding of our sinfulness, of our, n- not, our lack of, uh, of divinity, that we aren't God and He is. And so the more we press into the the fear in terms of awe, wonder, respect. I'm looking for other words that help, but um, I think that leads to wisdom. The, the idea of being terrified, I don't think that leads to wisdom. I actually think that leads to a, a misunderstanding of who, of who God is and a, an actual separation from God and, and his people. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, just do a, a word search on, on or do a Google search on like fear Bible verses, and you'll see... Like, yeah, you'll see some of these, you know, fear of God being the beginning of wisdom. But then you'll see a ton of verses about don't have fear, right? Like, right. say to those with fearful hearts, be right. strong. Uh, your God will come, you yeah. know, with divine... Fear not, for I'm with you. Right, right. There's right, all right. These... So clearly there's got to be a difference right. in the fears, right. Right. right? Yeah, it's not Scripture contradicting itself, right? right. It's right. maybe a different use of the word. And I definitely think if we were to get in the presence of the Lord, we would be trembling. Yeah. I just, <laughs> but when you we were wouldn't... talking, I was like, it's... The time I stood at the Grand Canyon. Yeah. I mean, that was awe and wonder and terrifying all yes, at the same time. Totally. But it brought me into this place of, God, you are so amazing. Like, yeah. this is so vast and right. mind-blowing. Mm-hmm. And yet, I could die. Sure. So and I should... think if we're wrapped in sin, right, or, or um, uh, running from Christ or rejecting him, there's, a, there's another element to, to fear, that we should fear judgment and consequence and those sorts of things. I think we should always lead with that in people's lives, but um, I do think there are people that that probably should be afraid and terrified, not just awe and wonder. Right. Um, but if, as believers or those approaching God or, or seeking Him, the idea of just being terrified of Him isn't, isn't, isn't the right posture. I think you're onto something there. I think if we're in rebellion, actively resisting the Lord, we have good reason to be afraid of judgment. Uh, but God has gone way out of his way to make himself available and to speak to us the words, do not be afraid. He sent his son who gave his life. Um, and and he, he encourages us to come to him, all who are weary and heavy laden, uh, and I'll give you rest. That's the invitation of the gospel. Um, and so there, there's reason if we're in rebellion against God, if we're thumbing our nose at him, if we're refusing him, uh, to be afraid of judgment. Mm-hmm. There's a great passage in uh, C.S. Lewis's fiction, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, where, um, again, this is fiction, but there's a young girl named Susan who's, who's wanting to meet the lion. And the lion, Aslan, is a, is a Christological figure. He represents Christ in this fiction work. And this beaver and Susan, before they've met the lion, the beaver's trying to describe the lion to Susan, this Christ figure. And, he, and the beaver says, Aslan is a lion, the great lion. And Susan goes, oh, I thought he was a man. Is he safe? I shall feel better. She says, I'm nervous about meeting a lion. And then the beaver says, safe? Who said anything about safe? He's not safe, but he's good. Yeah. And I, we can fully trust ourselves uh, to the one who created us. 
I like the picture of standing on the edge of the Grand Canyon because we get a sense of how small we are. Mm -hmm. There's an appropriate understanding of our place mm -hmm. in that situation. In the same is that's what happened to John as he saw Christ uh, in his all his glory. He had a sense of appropriate place, and then God shows him mercy and reaches down and cares for him. So, so good. Yeah. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Hey, just want to invite you to consider baptism, this little musical interlude on October 17th. If you've never been uh, baptized, that would be a great Sunday to do it. Baptism is just a picture. It's a picture of our trust in the death of Jesus, thus we go under the water, and our trust in the resurrection of Jesus, thus we come up out of the water. When we're immersed, we're saying we're trusting in the death of Christ uh, for the forgiveness of sin, and when we come out of the water, we're saying we're trusting in the resurrection of Christ for life eternal. We'd love to talk to you more about that. You can contact Grant Armstrong, garmstrong at gebible.org is the email, garmstrong, Grant Armstrong at gebible.org, and you could ask your questions. We could get you plugged in. All right, we're back. Next question. What do you mean that you had a, quote, sense, end quote, there was someone who needed prayer for freedom? Are you saying that God is telling you someone is in sin? Where might this type of revelation stop? Can I expect that God might show someone else my sinfulness? So this is in reference to uh, something Kelly said. Was it second, second service after the sermon? Um, yeah, we had invited people down for prayer, um, and um, while I was singing songs, you closed by leading two songs, I, I had this sense that there was somebody that needed a particular type of prayer, and I, it, for me it was they needed a uh, freedom, that they were repeating a, maybe it was a, a shameful cycle of sin or stuck in a habit uh, that they couldn't get out of. That was my sense. So I got up front at the end and said, hey, if that's you, I just had a sense of it, uh, love to pray for you, come on down. And a couple people came down afterwards and said, yeah, I, that might have been me. And so the, the question here that I think that people could find really concerning is, would God show someone else my sinfulness? And I can understand that would be concerning. Let me, it's not been my experience that the Holy Spirit gives these gifts to shame other people. So the gift in operation there could have been, I'm not saying, it was, in fact, I, I said, there are gifts, there are revelatory gifts, there are gifts identified in the New Testament for uh, unveiling who Christ is, revealing who Christ is, showing what Christ is doing. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 8 and uh, 9 and 10, 1 Corinthians 12, 8 and 9 10. So they're gifts of a, a word of wisdom, a word of knowledge. A prophetic gifts. There's gifts of tongues, interpretation of tongues, and these are these are strange gifts for sure. Uh, strange in the simply because uh, they're not strange to God. They're strange to us. We don't see them in operation enough. So it's it's not my experience that God gives these gifts um, a surprising knowledge of what's going on in a congregation or among a group of people in order to shame anybody. It's always my experience that God gives these gifts in order for redemptive purposes, encouraging purposes. It's a gift. Yeah. So I'll give one story, and I'll offer this story because it's, it's uh, from a trusted source and um, experienced by a trusted minister. His name was D.L. DL Moody. Um, and so uh, Moody was a, a 19th century minister of the gospel, founded uh, a church in Chicago, and had a giant children's ministry out of which this church grew uh, right after the Chicago fire, um, to give you a historic frame, frame of reference. And so Moody was up front preaching one Sunday, adults are in attendance, when he had the distinct impression the man on the front row who was holding a pair of gloves had stolen the gloves. <laughs> he didn't know how to explain it other than God told him the man in the front row stole those gloves. And so from the pulpit, he said, sir, you need to repent of your sin and return those gloves. And then he moved on with his sermon. And the guy repented of his sin, came to faith in Jesus Christ because he had, in fact, stolen the gloves and, come and came to church with them. Wow. And so God means that, uh, you know, hopefully it wouldn't, we wouldn't harden our hearts 
um, hopefully we would we would be soft-hearted. Yeah. For people who, and I don't know if this question asker is feeling this way or not, but for people who hear that that went down at a GBC, you know, service and feel like, okay, I don't know, if we're, are we going down that road? <laughs> like, is this, is there going to be 10 minutes of that sometime in the future? Like, what's going on? That This seems a little out there. Like, how would you, yeah, what would you well, say? Well, I I would say that, you know, I would put to him the same question I put to the congregation on Sunday. What do you guys think is going on here? What do you think we're doing here? Yeah. I'm, is this a park district program? Are we here for moral education? Is this a civic gathering? No, that's, that's not why I'm here. Mm-hmm. I, I think that Christ is raised, the Spirit's active, and he's at work in our lives, and we can expect supernatural encounters. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's great. I think this is where it's helpful to talk about, um, just briefly, we've talked about it a couple times, but the latest episode of the Mars Hill podcast Mm. is uh, Driscoll explains himself seeing vivid abuse and sin committed by, like, in detail that he, and I think that's a lie. I think it's fake. I don't think he's, I don't think that's true, uh, because it, the way that it was, could that happen? Could God do those things? Certainly. He could do that. The way that that information was then lorded over people and handled and paraded and abused and all that sort of thing leads me to believe that that was not happening. Making the point, what you're saying is that these are not used, if, if that sort of thing were to happen in any sort of detail, it would be not to power up on somebody, mm. use it as, well, I've seen, so you can't hide. I know exactly what happened. Don't lie anymore. Mm-hmm. Shame, guilt, all those sorts of things. I heard somebody say um, yesterday, it was really uh, powerful for me because I think I'd heard it before, but it just struck me. They were talking about uh, the power of confessing sin and that when somebody comes to confess sin to them, they never feel more angry at this person or, or wanting to get away from this person. They actually have more love for that person than they did before the person came to them and said, here's what I'm wrestling with in, in, in my life, and I would love for you to pray for me, that I would be free from this, yeah. this sin. I thought, wow, that's really interesting. What a great perspective. You know? yeah, let's, I, I think the same thing is true when God works in these ways. If God were to, to, to if you had a sense from God that somebody needed prayer for, for freedom, it's, it's, it's about them experiencing the love of God in a way that they haven't um, it's about you being able to care for them in that. It's not about this power move. Mm-hmm. So let's, let's talk uh, about a, a Jesus moment. John chapter 4, the woman at the well. Mm-hmm. Um, Jesus says to her at one point, he confronts her on her uh, serial adultery. Um, the man that you're with is not your husband. You, he's your fifth, as a matter of fact. And he, he confronts her on that. Uh, he, he does it, or he did it. He must have done it in a way that is endearing, not terrifying to her. Oh, 100%. So I think that's where you're going. Mm-hmm. Is and, and, and it wasn't done. I'm, go ahead. I, it wasn't done in a way to say, don't lie to me. Mm-hmm. I know what you did. Yeah, there's not a threat. I know. I, I've seen it's everything. Invitation. Yeah, mm-hmm. right. I it was... What, I, what I'm hearing you both say, too, and I think this was made clear yesterday at the service, is in the difference between what I, I did listen to the last episode. I'm caught up. I didn't want to come to this The podcast. title of the episode we'll reference <laughs> yeah. is called Demon Demons. Hunting? Yeah. Demon, demon Trials. Demon, demon Trials. trials. I'll put the demons I mean, on it trial. Could, it could have been Demon Hunting, but anyway. Oh, it could be the he, title, but they yeah. call them Demon Trials. Yeah. 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 Well, I'm just saying, yeah. the point I'm trying to make <laughs> is that um, this in this case, Mark Jiskell made these moments, these experiences about him. And the difference was yesterday that you were just responding to the spirit. And the point was because Jesus had, you know, it was about Jesus that he, he wanted to meet and, or do something in someone's life. And whether or not you were right or wrong, the point is, is that you, what I gathered when you said that is that you were just responding to the spirit yourself. And, um, it wasn't about you. You weren't trying to rescue somebody. Um, and I think that what I gathered from, and even what you're saying now, even when you include the woman at the well, 
if anybody is pointing you to anything other than Jesus, you need to, you need to take note. That's not the point that God is drawing us to his son. I don't know. Does that make sense? Totally. As as you're talking, Simone, I was, I was, I was wondering about how can we test when someone might in leadership be making it about them? How, how do we make sure the car is in the middle of the road? When do we, when can we sense that the car may be v- moving towards the ditch and extreme? Mm-hmm. And it, it occurs to me, one of the ways we can tell if a church is maintaining its focus on the Savior without getting caught up in a phenomenal exercise of gifts is how the least are cared for. Yes, amen. So if if people who are sociologically weak, um, minorities, um, um, those with special needs, um, people caught in sin, if people if people are marginalized in a community, and that's over and over in the podcast, there were ins and outs. There were those with power, without power. And it took years for people to unravel that. Mm-hmm. One of the ways we can tell that the community is a more accurate reflection of Jesus is by the fruit of love and um, the care we're offering the weakest in the community, in the place we're making. Uh, and I want to go so far as to say the, un- the unrepentant. Bear with me here. I'm, I'm working this out in real time. Awesome. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, I think of the person that was practicing incest and Paul says to discipline him. When you're all together and the Spirit's present, um, to discipline this person. And it could sound like lower the boom if you read that. Lower the boom on this person. Drop the hammer on this person. But all discipline in the New Testament is for redemptive purposes. In other words, the hope would be, and if you read the entire chapter, that his soul would be saved. There's this longing, ultimately, even for this person caught in a most heinous of sins, that they would come back into the fold following Christ. And I think, so even, man, I I want even the most, even those who are unrepentant to feel at home, safe in our community, um, and cared for. Mm. I'm just working that out in real time. Yeah, that's That's good. good. All right, next question. When I picture Jesus, and hopefully I'm not the only one who does this, what should I picture? Should I picture him with a giant double-edged sword coming out of his mouth and eyes on fire? Seems spooky. It does, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, there's a passage in Isaiah 53, too. It says, he had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should, be, we should desire him. So as a, as a Middle Eastern man, you know, a Palestinian man, a Hebrew in the first century. He was dark-skinned with black hair and brown eyes, most likely, and looked fairly uh, average. Yeah. Um, so I, I, you know, I do think we need to exercise our imagination. The picture that John gives in chapter 1 is of Christ glorified. Mm-hmm. We can picture him that way, majestic, high and lifted up if we want. It is kind of interesting. Um, you know, the sword in his mouth, that feels a little odd, right? Yeah. Uh, it's hard to picture what that is. I think that it's this double-edged sword in his mouth is, I think that there is a message coming this week in chapters 2 and 3 that is a difficult message for the church and a challenge for the church. And I think it just kind of speaks to get ready for the word I have for the church. But yeah. I don't. how do you all picture? Do you all picture him? Yeah, it's, but I have to go through, I do, I'm glad this person asked this question because I have to go through a process um, because the first images that come up 
are the images from art from my childhood and growing up and the, the pictures that I've Pale seen. Pale white Jesus? The, yeah, the pictures Blue that I've seen the most, the most of, like, you know, just... Aryan Jesus? Some of them are like that. Um, yeah, I just, I have to work through all that and go, okay, and it's not right, it's not accurate, it's not accurate, it's not accurate. And to, and to get to the, you know, mm. to get to a brown-skinned person, to get yeah. to a person that probably looked more in line with a Middle Eastern person. It's like, oh yeah, that's what Jesus looked like, you know? Um, I mean, I don't spend, this, all this happens in a matter of a moment. Like I'm not like, you know, writing papers on it, but just saying like those, those images from growing up, you know, my grandma's house or whatever, like those are, those are in there. They're ingrained. They're hard to, to forget. I, I see the Jesus at the well. So you just, you know, you just reference that. That's the Jesus that I see, the dusty, sandal-wearing, long-haired, compassionate, probably somewhat unattractive, but considers the heart of every conversation he has, right? That's the Jesus that I see. So to see the contrast in John 1 of him in his glory, it's almost like a reminder of that is what makes him the Jesus who penetrates the heart, who... Um, sees the woman at the well and gives her this invitation, knowing her history, knowing how the culture and society yeah. views her. He, It's like, surprise, mm-hmm. I'm actually the most beautiful, most powerful, most attractive, um, you know, being to ever exist. And when you see me, you will fall down dead. Mm-hmm. Like John. Yeah. And then his heart to lean over him. I don't know if it says it leans over him, but that's how I picture him. Like leaning over him saying, it's okay because I conquered death. I, you know, I'm, I am life and I'm yeah. here for, you know, words just, of comfort. Oh, for I love that picture so much. I, I have, uh, I, it, it, uh, it's enjoyable for me to think of Jesus as a working man mm. with working man hands that his dad was a carpenter. Jesus was probably trained as a carpenter. Yeah. Um, he had calloused hands. Uh, Simone, I, I liked what you said. I mean, he's at the well, he's been walking all day um, he's a traveler. Um, you know, I have office hands. I sit at an office desk, and I just, I think, you know, this is, um, I'm probably making him um, into, you know, I, when I picture him, I, I think he's a, he's a man's man. Um, he's fully human. Um, he's someone that I would have enjoyed hanging out with. Uh, he would have brought me, and does, he brings me comfort. He would have challenged me, grown me. I mean, if you've, if you've been around adults that you both enjoy, you're at ease around them, but they also may zing you every now and then and call you to grow up, mm-hmm. uh, that's kind of how I picture Jesus um, yeah. in real time. So, yeah. All right, let's go to the last question. I have, I have a lot of church baggage, or at least it feels like that. I've enjoyed my experience at Glen Ellen, but am worried that at any moment I'm going to either be hurt by someone who is well-meaning or I'm going to get a glimpse at how the sausage is made and be disappointed. I hate living like this, but I'm not sure what to do. Well, it's true. I don't eat sausage based on how I know that it's made. So I am so sorry for this person. Right there with you. Mm. Uh, Join the club. So many of us have church baggage. Uh, I have some serious wounds. Um, someone wrote here in the notes, you know, go get help. You know, let, don't stay there. Don't be stuck in your fear of the church. I, it stinks that, um, that you have church baggage. It means that, you know, you probably got stepped on or kicked or you came away wounded from your church experience. Folks, I have wounds myself from my church experience. As a child, one of my vivid memories are some men in the church who my father had hired to, to do some work at the church. So they were working men, contractors, and she's a single mom at the time. And so she hired these folks thinking, this would be great. They're, they're men from the church. I can let my guard down. Mm. It didn't go real well. Mm. I have this vivid memory. I'm 12 years old. And there's, she's, my mother's only five feet tall, maybe five one. Um, and there's six foot four guy. She's having to stand him down. He's in our living room, refusing to do the work that he, he contracted to do. Mm. And so this five-foot woman is having to go toe-to-toe with this man. And I'm a 12-year-old thinking, what the heck is going on? And I, I see him in worship every week. Well, yeah. So, I, you know, it's not uncommon to have wounds. I, I, we all need to admit, I've also wounded people. Mm. I have been the cause 
of people's disappointment in the church. I've not led perfectly. I've sinned against others. Uh, I've had to repent, confess that, try to build bridges. Um, so we're, I get it. Yeah. I, I don't want to be stuck there. I think we have enough to go on in the New Testament that it is the vehicle that God is working through to present Christ to the world that we can't give up on the mm-hmm. church. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's no perfect church. There's not going to be a place you can go where you're not going to experience any, you know, any tension, any strife. And if there was, then I'd call that church into question, right? right. I mean, like, what kind of church are you going to if there's nothing's, nothing bad happens, right? Yeah. Like, but I, I actually personally don't have a lot of church baggage because I didn't grow up in the church. So came to faith later on. So, um, but I mean, I am human, so I can't understand, you know, what, what part of what they're talking about here. But I guess for me, uh, it, it's helpful to think about, okay, well, what's the alternative? Don't go to church. And that's not a viable how does, option. How, I mean, we all know the scores and scores of people who don't go to church and have a very healthy spiritual life. I'm being, I'm being joking. I was like, ah, it's sarcasm. Like, I can't exactly. think of anybody. <laughs> no, exactly. Like, right, it just, right, you, right. you know, and, you know, the Bible says don't forsake the gathering. Like, yeah. you, we do need to go. So yeah. it's helpful for me to frame it in that way. I don't yeah. know. It's maybe yeah. not helpful for other people. Too. I mean, I just want to tell this person that you prop, it's coming. You will be disappointed. Somebody in the church is. At Glen Ellen Bible. Sure. Yeah, at yeah. Glen Ellen Bible. As yeah. lovely as a place this is, yeah. it's it's coming. It's because it's kind of circling back to that first question. It's compl- church it, is complicated. And when it happens, let's let's work through it. Yeah. Let's, I mean. Yeah. And there are appropriate ways to do that. And that's what the church gets in trouble with sometimes, right, is the inappropriate yeah. ways in which conflict. We resolve or, it. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Awesome. Great questions this week. Yeah. All right. Well, that's uh, that's all the questions we have for you today. But if you have any further questions, comments, or concerns, don't hesitate. Text the Next Level Podcast, 630-474-6164. Our podcast is dedicated to answering listener questions on two levels, answering specific questions about last Sunday's sermon. There's also general questions regarding broader topics within the Christian faith. We love God and believe that scripture is a primary means for our getting to know him. And our hope is that this podcast extends the learning opportunity for all who want to know God better, strengthening not only your faith, but my faith and our faith together. John disappeared, so I'll read the last line too. Thank you for joining us and thank you listeners for tuning in to the next level. Prophecy.